Welcome to East Hills Alliance Church. Real people experiencing real change because of a real Savior. Amazingly enough, I, I did not feel like I'd had a, uh, a long week, but then I got to this weekend and went, Easter was just last week. I don't quite know how that happened, so if you're feeling that way too, well, we're in company together. I was going to say you're in good company, but I don't actually know that. You're, you're in company with me, I guess, so depends on how you feel about that. Uh, last week, we talked about how Jesus has proven to be Lord over all, that he pro- proved he is Lord over sin and death through his death on the cross and his resurrection to new life, and how Jesus' death and resurrection has changed everything for everyone, that it has changed uh, our lives, our present, our uh, past, our future, our eternity, and that anyone who declares, and this is essentially quoting from the book of Romans in the New Testament, anyone who declares that Jesus is Lord and believes in their heart that God raised him from the dead, they have been given, they have accepted the gift of forgiveness and of eternal life. I, I think maybe, and maybe this is just in me and my language and my thinking, I think maybe a better word than believes for whoever believes in their heart, a better word might be entrusts. Whoever entrusts their heart to Jesus at least in the way we use these words today, in part because I think of believe as being a fairly intellectual exercise. It's somehow choosing something or choosing to agree with something. So I'm a sports fan. The NFL draft is coming up this week, and you've got all these experts saying, well, I believe the Seahawks are going to do this. Well, I believe they should draft that guy. Belief is this sort of choice to agree with something or to state something that we think is true, but to entrust our life to somebody. That's really what the language there is getting at, that we entrust our life to Jesus, which means some relinquishing of control. It means that some things are going to be required of us, we entrust our life to Jesus. And that following Jesus, for those of us who would say we're Jesus followers, is a journey of entrusting ourselves, our lives, the people we love to Jesus. And really, all of Scripture is telling that story. The whole of Scripture is a look at how all of humanity is doing at trusting or not trusting God. It is the story of humanity's wrestling with, am I going to trust God in this situation or not? And so often scripture zooms in on a certain person or family or nation to say, let's take a look at this case study of what it may look like to trust or not trust God. So we think of Uh, Abraham or David or the nation of Israel or even Jesus and his disciples zooming in to say, this is what it looks like to trust God or or to not. In a parallel way, please don't hear me comparing a sermon series to scripture. In a parallel way, that's the same kind of thing we want to do 
over the next number of weeks as we talk about what we believe God is calling our church to be about, where God is calling our church to go, and then to zoom in and say, okay, but this isn't just about an organization or a collection of people called East Hills, but it is what God wants to be doing in each and every life, the things God is calling us to do as followers of him. So, uh, the idea being that the, the next steps God has for us as an organization are also things that he's calling each and every one of us to do. So let me, let me show you what I mean. In February, uh, many of you know that our leadership team, our, our ministry board, which our, our elected governing board, and our staff met together on a Saturday with Monty Wright, who is the district superintendent of the Alliance Northwest. What that means is East Hills Alliance is part of the Christian and Missionary Alliance. That is our denomination, our, our tribe, our movement that we are a part of. And as part of uh, overseeing all of that movement, it's broken down into some regions and we are a part of the Alliance Northwest. And Monty Wright is our district superintendent. He's, he's my boss. He helps oversee all the churches, he and his staff, to make sure that we're still pointed in the same direction, pursuing Jesus together. Monty was kind enough to come up and spend a Saturday with us as we asked the question, who does God want us to be in 2025? Why 2025? Because it's kind of a nice number and it's three years out and it gives us a chance to just go, okay, who is God calling us to develop into? And we actually got really practical with the question in a very fantastical sort of way. Monty said, okay, I want you to imagine that it's January of 2025 and the national office of the Christian Missionary Alliance has heard about all the wonderful things that God is doing through and around East Hills Alliance in Kelso, Washington. And so they send out a camera crew to document all the amazing things that God is doing. What do you show them? And it's just an interesting thought experiment to go, what would it look like for us to thrive as the church God is calling us to be in this community that God has called us to love? And so we spent a number of hours talking about that and batting things around and categorizing things and, and all the things that if you love brainstorming, you would have enjoyed. And if you don't, you're glad you weren't there, okay? And as some of you know, because it's been put out there a little bit, the leadership walked away with these six outcomes that we're taking an initial look at to say, are these the kinds of things that God is calling us to do? We believe, whether we change the wording on this or shift some things around over the next weeks, months, years, this captures the idea of who God is calling us to be, what, what, he's, what um, we believe he's calling us to, uh, to do and become in ministry. So uh, here are those six categories. We'll throw them up here. We believe that God is calling us as a church to have a healthy Christ-formed culture, okay? To also have a collaborative missionary mindset, to be identifying and mobilizing the spiritual gifts of every person who makes up East Hills, calling us to have, to continue to have, and to grow in our Jesus-centered gatherings, we want to see relevant and transforming small groups for our community where we are doing life together that changes life with one another. And uh, we want to have disciple-making 
relationships be a part of everything that we do. Now, none of these are particularly earth-shattering in the sense of, I hope you're not looking at this list going, I've never heard of a church that wants to make disciples before. Like, that's so unique and weird. Like, this is who God is calling us to be. This is not something that we're pulling out of left field. We see all of this in Scripture. But this does add up to a church that I think we would all love to be a part of. A church that is healthy and formed by Christ, that is working with others to make a difference in our community, that is identifying how God has wired people, how he's gifted them, and seeing them connected with the opportunities God gives them to serve and love, who's gathered centered around Jesus and not around anything else is part of community that matters to our lives, changes lives, and the people are discipling one another as followers of Jesus. Over the next uh, number of weeks, you're gonna hear from me and from many others, uh, some even from outside of our church, talking about what this may mean for us as a church to see these six ideas, these six outcomes come true. But we're also gonna zoom in then and talk about what that means for each of us as disciples of Jesus. Not, not so that we can get everybody on board to add up to the church that we want to see, but because we believe that God has these things for each and every one of us. Again, these are not earth-shattering and new. These are ancient and good and proven to be true. These are the things God calls out of each of us. And so we're gonna talk about how these apply to our personal lives as well. For example, we believe that we are called to be a church that is healthy and Christ-formed. That we are, are not formed by culture or politics or social media, but we are formed by Christ. And that we are going to be called to be a church that is healthy. There are too many stories out there of churches that have said, well, the ends will justify the means. Like good ministry is happening. People are being saved and loved and all those things. So just ignore the toxic mess that's over here because good stuff is happening out there. And we believe that the ends will not justify the means if the means are unhealthy and don't glorify God in and of themselves. But isn't this true for all of us? We are all called to become healthy, Christ-formed disciples. That the ends will not justify the means in our lives if those means do not glorify Christ. That we are called to be formed by Christ and not by all of the other things in life that form us. Because the truth is, we're formed by everything going on around us. Being formed is not an optional thing. You are under formation. You're formed by the conversations you have, the people you talk to, the people you listen to, the music you listen to, everything that you take in, the things that you do, all of this forms you and pushes you and nudges you in a direction. The question is, are we going to be formed by Christ to entrust ourselves to his care? Here's what I mean. 
Paul wrote to the Ephesian church uh, that he planted and loved. And basically the whole letter that we have preserved for us in the New Testament is about this idea of being formed by Christ and being healthy Christ-formed disciples. So I wanna read a a snippet of that letter this morning. I'm gonna start in what we now call Ephesians 4, verse 21. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Are you hearing the formation language in here? Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Now, I don't know for sure about you. I know for sure that I cannot become righteous and holy on my own. My bent is not toward being righteous and holy. My bent tends to be towards selfishness and getting what I want. I I am not going to move closer to righteous and holy without some help. In fact, I'm gonna need somebody who is righteous and holy to help form that in me, to make that happen in me. Only God can form me to be like him. So Paul then lists a a partial list of the kind of behaviors it will look like to be formed by Christ. So maybe consider these uh, formation indicators, okay? So we'll run, run through this. Very next verse. He writes, so stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for angry gives a foothold to the devil. If you are a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good, hard work, and then give generously to others in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. And then here's the crux of it. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Be imitators of Christ. Follow his example. To do this is gonna require some things of us. The payoff will be great because we will be seeing God move. We will be cooperating with God and seeing lives change in our church and in our community, but it is gonna require some things of us in order to imitate Christ. It's gonna require that we each go through some intentional formation. And I wanna talk about the things that are required of us. I think the first is a desire 
maybe consider these prerequisites to being formed by Christ. We have to actually want to be formed by Christ. Again, we're being formed every day by everything we go through and experience. We're gonna have to make the intentional choice to be formed by Christ, which means we have to want to. God is not going to force you to be formed. He has given us free will and we get a choice. And as Jesus was walking around on the earth teaching and preaching and healing, there were people who walked away, who said, nope, that sounds too weird, too strange, too hard, I'm out. We can walk away. God's not going to force it upon us. We have to want to. God has given us this free will. We can choose to walk away, but he knows the best way for life to go. And he promises that if we walk in the ways of Christ, he will give us an abundantly good life. So we follow Jesus' example. We're imitating him. Well, what example exactly? Clearly, we could look through all of the Gospels and see all kinds of different behaviors and words, things that Jesus has done, and we should, and I encourage you to. Know what you are supposed to be imitating. But I think Paul sums it up really nicely in a letter to a different church, uh, the letter to the church in Philippi. So I'm going to flip forward two pages in my Bible to Philippians chapter 2, where Paul writes this to the Philippian church. He says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. In other words, we're following that example. We're imitating his attitude, right? You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. The example of Christ. So a prerequisite to being formed by Christ is going to be humility. That we have to, as Jesus humbled himself to show us his love, we are going to have to humble ourselves. Humility is an honest evaluation of yourself. So it is recognizing the things that you are good at, the skills and gifts and abilities you have, the character traits you like about yourself. It's recognizing those things. It is also recognizing your faults, the desires you have that lead you down roads that are painful for you and for others recognizing that you can't do it all on your own. We have to be willing and able to admit that we don't have it all figured out because if we have it all figured out, then why would we put ourselves under anyone's formation? I already got it figured out. If we are perfect just the way we are, then no changes are necessary. Why would we ever submit ourselves to being formed by someone. On the flip side, we can't just decide that we're dirt and worthless 
Because if you're convinced that you're worthless, why would you ever believe that someone could form you into something amazing? That Jesus would actually take us and form us, then he sees something good in you. We have this honest evaluation of ourselves so that we can submit ourselves to the care and the formation of Jesus, recognizing that there are areas of our lives that need to be molded by God. You and I have some errant desires, a tendency to lie or cheat or steal or excuse our behavior because, well, it's not as bad as so-and-so. And so we recognize those flaws and we determine from that recognition that we need to allow God to form us, which is actually the third thing that's required of us, and that's a determination. We need desire and humility and determination. And by this, I don't simply mean determination as in grit and resiliency we're going to have to push through, although that's certainly part of it. I won't try to do a whole English lesson here because I don't really know. I'd be fish out of water. It strikes me as interesting that this word we use, determination, that we use to mean that resiliency and grit and that stubbornness to push through, we use the word determine as in a choice. See, I think when we're talking about determination, as in I'm going to push through this even when it gets hard, even when I don't want to, that's because we've determined that the goal is worth it. Because we've determined we're going to go after it no matter what. That we've already made the decision. We've already predetermined that this is where I'm headed. And so if this gets hard, if this gets emotional, if this gets difficult in some way, I'm going to keep pushing through because I have determined that this is my goal. So I am determined to keep going. That when the desire fades, we've already made the determination that we're going anyway. And the desire will fade. It will get hard. We are following Jesus's example that Paul told the Philippians was humbling himself unto death on the cross. We're supposed to be imitating that attitude, that kind of love. It will get hard as it did for Jesus. And when it does, and when our desire fades, it will be our determination to let Christ form us. It will be your determination to let Christ form you that will keep you going. Christ suffered to demonstrate his love for us. And if Christ suffered, we should expect that we will too. One of the ways that we are formed is we are formed through suffering. Now, this is a statement that is true for every single human. We are formed through suffering. The choice becomes, are you allowing the suffering to form you? Because if the suffering forms you, it will form you into bitterness and anger and envy and rage and all those things Paul said, don't do that. All those things that none of us want to be identified as that. I don't want people to think of me and go, there is an angry, envious, raging person. But if we allow the suffering in and of itself to form us, 
Those are the kind of characteristics that get formed in us. Or are we going to intentionally decide that we're going to be formed by Christ in our suffering, in following him into the suffering that he laid out as his example? Uh, Growth and formation are talked about over and over again in the New Testament. And throughout scripture, I suppose, really... And often the metaphor used is one of fire. Like fire so hot, it makes metal bendable so it can be formed into something. Or like clay that gets splashed and smashed and formed and put in a fire and burned to be made into something new. Repeatedly, in the New Testament, we're told that it is through suffering that our character, that imitation of Christ, it is through suffering that that character matures and endures and grows. And we're told over and over that we are called to share in the suffering of Christ. To not think of our rights and privileges and reputation and dignity as something to hold on to, but to lay those things down as Jesus did in order to actively choose to love the people around us. It is through suffering, after all, that Christ showed his love for us and showed us how to love. Look back at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2 again. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ, the example that Paul laid out in Philippians 2. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. And then he says, in light of that love, here's what our behavior should look like. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, and coarse jokes, these are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. For a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Okay. Let's take a look at the uh, behaviors that Paul lists here in these, these two lists in Ephesians 4 and 5, because I, I think these behaviors all have at least one thing in common, maybe, maybe more. He says, greed, foolish talk, sexual immorality, anger, stealing, lying. These are the things to stay away from. Greed, foolish talk, sexual immorality, anger, stealing, lying. All of these things, every single one of them, impacts the people around you. Every one of them can be deemed as selfish, not just because it benefits us, but because it hurts the people around us. One of the ways that we are formed is we are formed in community. We are formed in relationship with other people. We are formed by what they do and what we do in that community. 
And again, we have a choice to be formed by the community itself or to be formed by Jesus in our engagement with community around us. To be formed as we learn to love and protect our neighbor. To be formed as we learn to limit our freedom in order to love more fully. To be formed as we learn to be humble enough to love our enemies and even love those who we know are brazenly wrong. And yes, we are formed as we suffer in community. As we experience hurt and heartache. As we give grace and as we ask for grace from others as our broken hearts pour out an apology. We are formed by the humility, by the suffering, by the joys of community. We're formed by engaging with people who are easy to be around and who demonstrate love for us and by people who are difficult to love. who require us to be a little more like Christ. Now on the flip side, I wanna make sure I mention that we are also formed by solitude. We are formed in community. We are also formed by solitude. And, and Sky did a great job of laying this out for us a few weeks back about how Jesus repeatedly would remove himself from community to be in solitude, to be alone with the Father. Again, not alone to be isolated, not running away from community or running away from responsibility or running away from hurt, but to be alone with the Father. In the language of formation, this would be setting aside some specific time and place to say, God, in this moment, in this space, I am only going to be formed by you. God, I'm submitting myself to only be formed by you right now. Because again, all of these things around us form us the people around us, the relationships we're engaged in, the media we take in, the social media we consume, the things we say and do, all of it is part of forming us. And yes, we want to walk with God and let him form us in those things, but to set aside specific time and space to say, God, I'm only going to be formed by you in this moment. So I'm putting down everything else, my responsibilities, my entertainment, all of it, and I'm gonna sit with your scripture. I'm gonna sit here in prayer. I'm gonna take a risk and believe that you may actually want to do something in me or say something to me. I'm not even sure how that works, God, but I'm, I'm here. I'm, I'm only gonna be formed by you for this five minutes, this 15 minutes, this hour. God, I'm only gonna be formed by you. We are formed in our solitude allowing God personally, because he wants to personally, through his word, through his Holy Spirit, which is just God's power and presence at work in and amongst us, to allow God's Holy Spirit to go to work on us. Say, God, would you shine a light on the things in me, the dark, shadowy places in me, would you highlight the places where I need to be formed and grow? And in doing so, in our solitude, we are formed by our dependence on Holy Spirit. 
by our dependence on God to point out the things that we would rather ignore or keep buried. To say, God, I no, I need you to point this thing out because I don't want to touch it or deal with it. God, would you, would you shine your light? God, would you come and convict me of my sin? When Jesus told his followers that he was going to die and raise from the dead, he said, when I am raised, I'm going to go away, but I'm going to send for you Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit will be the convictor of sin. He'll point it out. He'll let you know. He will also be your advocate, your comforter, your guide as you go through life. And so we sit in our solitude and we say, God, would you guide me into the depths of my own heart and show me what's going on? the places that I need to hand over to you for your formation. And then we get up from our solitude and we enter in to the community, to the suffering, to the opportunities of the world around us. And we say, God, would you guide me through this day? Because you've shown me the darkness in me. I know that I'm gonna hurt people if I'm left to my own devices today. I know that I'm gonna make selfish choices that impact the people around me that I love and care about in ways that are not loving or caring. So God, would you guide me through today? I know I'm dependent dependent on you to be my comforter in the times that I'm hurt, to be my guide as I walk through today, to nudge me and go, hey, you just messed that up. An apology is in order. God, would you guide me through today? We stop trying to act like we got it all figured out and we learn to depend on God for our life and our direction and our courage. Now, I look at this list. Suffering, community, solitude, and dependence on the Holy Spirit. And this looks like a fantastic list to avoid at all costs. I don't want to do any of this. Dependence? No, 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 no. I want independence, thank you very much. Because if I depend on somebody, that means I have needs. And if I have needs, I'm vulnerable. No, thank you. And solitude, like sometimes solitude sounds really nice. But we're talking about the solitude where I actually have to reflect and like deal with my own emotions and the ways I messed up this week and the things that I would just rather keep buried and not deal with. Uh Uh-uh, I don't want any part of it. I will stay busy so I don't have to be in that kind of solitude. Thank you very much. And community, hmm, I learned a long time ago. The community is where I get hurt. The community is where people say hard things, where people will tear me down, and I don't want any part of it. I mean, I know there's good things too, but I don't know that it's worth it. I don't want to engage in that kind of community and suffering, as if the rest of this isn't suffering enough, hard pass. No, thank you. I grew up in a country that taught me that I don't have to suffer. In fact, the American dream is to be determined just long enough that I don't have to suffer anymore, that I can get the comfy house and the cushy bank account so that I don't have to worry and I don't have to suffer and we're gonna make all the scientific and medical advances we need to make so that nobody has to hurt or die anymore. And I grew up in churches that taught me that if I'm suffering, that means God's bailed on me. 
or that if I'm suffering means I did something wrong, that I just don't have enough faith because a loving God would never let me suffer, would he? No, I've, I've been taught that I don't have to touch any of this. And it's true. I don't have to. Again, God's not going to force me. But here's the problem. This list is how we are most intimately and completely formed by Christ. And to avoid this list or anything on it, to avoid formation is to walk away from Jesus. We read about the people in the gospels who hear Jesus say, hey, if you wanna follow me, you gotta pick up your cross and let's go. And they say, that doesn't make any sense, I'm out. When Jesus says some things, that, like, you're gonna rise from the dead, you're gonna rebuild the temple in three days, what are you talking about? I'm out. And we go, oh, well, I'd never walk away from Jesus like that. If we avoid this list, we are walking away from the work that Jesus is calling us to do. We are walking away from following Jesus. Again, Jesus did not walk around going up to people going, hey, I'm Jesus, nice to meet you. Would you please believe with me in these six things? Jesus said, hey, I, I have something I'd like you to do. I'd like you to come and follow me. This is what Jesus is calling us to follow him through. And it's why it's so significant to me that Jesus didn't simply die to forgive us of our sins. He didn't even just rise from the dead to give us new life. But he said, I will be with you. I will send the convictor, the advocate, the comforter, the guide. I will be with you. His final words to his disciples recorded in the Gospel of Matthew. He said, hey, I've got a mission for you. I need you to go make disciples. I need you to teach them everything that I commanded you, even the hard stuff. I need you to get them to make a choice, to baptize them, which is just saying that they're entrusting me with their life. And I promise I will be with you every step of the way to the end of the age. He has promised to be with us through all of this. This is the walk he is calling us to take. To lay down our life. To lay down the things that might make us happier or more comfortable in some cases in order to actively love the people around us. In order to actively be formed into better imitators of Christ. You are being made into something new. You are being grown and formed. And Paul talks about that transition. He describes it this way. Verse eight of Ephesians five. For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true, carefully determine what pleases the Lord. There's that determination word again. So what 
are we becoming? As we undergo the formation of Jesus, what does that mean for us? What are we becoming? Real quick, we are becoming more of what's required of us. And this is amazing to me. Those prerequisites I talked about, before we can choose to come and be formed by Christ, as we're formed by Jesus, these things get developed stronger and stronger in us. That as we are following along with Jesus and comparing ourselves to him and the work he wants to do in us, as we're allowing him to shine his light in the dark spaces of our hearts, we become more humble. As we get formed by Jesus, we become more determined, more able to determine what pleases the Lord. And as we get a taste of this formation, our desire for more of it grows and grows. We become even more of what's required of us to keep undergoing formation. We become more like Christ. We become better imitators and imitations of Christ. We become more integrated, more healthy, more whole. We become more like Christ because the example himself is forming us. And we're more willing to lay down our lives for the world around us as he did. And in doing so, we become light for the world. If you look around the world around you, and it seems dark and broken, and you don't know what to do. If you're tired of looking around at the people you love, and it's like watching them stumble and trip and bump into the same things over and over again as they go through life, like they just need somebody to turn on a light so they can see where they're going. Jesus is the light of the world. And as we open ourselves to ask his him to, to shine his light in us. As we open ourselves to his formation, the light of the world shines all the brighter in us and through us. If your heart is broken by watching the people around you stumble and trip and fall, stop trying to form them into who you want them to be. Come and be formed. Come and be formed by the hope of the world, by the light of the world. And as he shines in you, as he shines through you, graciously and lovingly forming you into a better imitator of himself, you become more gracious and loving for the people around you. And you are able to shine the light of Christ into a dark and broken and hurting world that desperately needs it. So let's open ourselves to the transforming work of Christ together. Will you pray with me? Father God, we know that in all the things that we go through that we will be formed in some way. God, we give ourselves to you. In this time and space, would you form us? As we walk through this week, would you form us? God, would you shine your light in the dark places of my heart where I'd rather hold on to anger or control or sin or fantasy or whatever it might be, where I'm tempted to lie about where I am or where I'm going, where I'm tempted to pretend like I've got it all figured out or I've got it all together and I don't need anybody God, would you 
shine your light into our hearts. God, we want to do and be the things you are calling us to do and be. And we know that only happens under your formation, under your care, under your guidance. God, would you guide us as a church through all the things that form us? Would you guide each of us as your followers, as your disciples, through all the things that form us? And would we find your comfort and your grace and your light all the more impactful in our lives and in our world? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for checking out our podcast. Find out more or connect online at easthillsalliance.org.